we're going to continue on this morning in our sermon series in 2 Timothy. Um, we've been working through this throughout, you know, since January, uh, learning to fan the flame of our faith and fan into flame the gifts that have been given to us and the, and the spirit that we have in the Lord and all the things that, that he has blessed us with that we can return to him. And uh, we want to just do that again this morning uh, as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10, we're going to be starting this morning. Um, and so, as I am sure you're well aware, we are freshly coming off uh, another Winter Olympics. Uh, I'm sure, you, I don't know if you guys were watching any of that the last month or so here. Um, we like to watch that at our house. We didn't have a, a stellar showing uh, this time around for the United States, but nonetheless, we like to watch some of the events. And uh, the, the, one of the great ones, obviously, is the, the, the hallmark, the opening ceremony, right? And there's this big climax in the opening ceremony where they bring in the Olympic torch, right, to light the big flame in the center of the arena. And, and, and that torch, as it comes in the arena, that's just the end of its journey, right? Like it has been passed from person to person to person over miles and miles for months. I think they started this time, I think they started like in October or November, starting to take that across China to get it to its final destination. And that passing of the torch from person to person is symbolic of the passing on of this legacy of the Olympics through all of the ages, right? That it's gone from country to country and place to place and person to person. It just keeps going, you know, uh, year after year after year. And I think that picture of that torch being passed um, has a very, has a, we see the same thing, if you will, symbolically in the history of the church, right? The, the way that we got to 2022 and the church is still rising and growing and moving across the world is because for 2,000 years, generation after generation after generation has passed that torch of faith to the next, right? And they've done their part to make sure that others were being brought up in the gospel of Jesus Christ and that faith was being passed on. And so I wanted to demonstrate that for you this morning. I wanted to, to bring in my own torch to show you this passing of that, but that, that they wouldn't approve a torch. So I got, I got this, okay? So you just have to use your imagination a little bit this morning, okay? So so pretend that this is uh, our torch this morning, okay? And this, this lighter represents you and I's life here on this earth, right? All of us have a life, and the flame represents our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I can keep this flame going for quite a while. I just got to hold the button down, right? But eventually, this lighter is going to run out of fluid, and the flame is going to extinguish, and there's going to come a time where your life on this earth is going to end. And at that point, your flame, your faith on this earth will be extinguished. Now, granted, if you're in Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven, right? You're going to be with him for all eternity. But then you don't need faith anymore because then you have what? You have sight, right? We're going to be in the presence of Jesus. But the way that we keep this flame going is we have to then pass that to some other source, Right, a candle, a bonfire, another torch, for it then to be passed on to the next and passed on to the next. And the flame of our faith can keep going past our own lifetime if we're faithful to pass the torch on to the next generation. That's what Paul is doing in this letter. Remember, this is like Paul's final words to his spiritual son, Timothy. He's given him his final push, his final instructions in the faith before Paul's life is going to come to an end. He's passing on this torch, this flame for Timothy 
to continue the gospel work. And this passage in particular here in chapter 3, he's pressing in even more on that. And so I want us to look at that today together. And so as we're looking at this, Paul's not just talking to Timothy in this letter. We've talked about this before. He's talking to all of us and our need to receive the flame of faith and then pass it on. So ask yourself this question as we walk through the text this morning. How am I passing on the torch of faith? What part am I playing? What role am I playing? What am I doing? What steps am I taking to pass the faith of Jesus Christ on to the next person and the next generation? So let's look at verse 10 to kick it off this morning. It starts like this. It says, you, however, he's talking to Timothy, you, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So the first thing, point number one this morning is this, pass the torch of faith through faithful living. Paul gives a list here of how he has faithfully lived out the gospel in front of Timothy, and he's pressing Timothy to remember these things. He says, you, however, and the however there is a contrasting word, right? So he's contrasting Timothy and his faithfulness to the gospel to everything we just learned about the last couple weeks, right? Uh, uh, Nathaniel took us through uh, imposters and pretenders of the faith last week. Before that, we talked about lovers of self and all these false teachers that were not following Christ. Here, Paul's saying, you're not like them, Timothy. You, however, have followed me. He's reminding Timothy of Paul's investment in him over all these years. Right? That he has, he has come and he's, they've spent time together. Like for years, Timothy was going with Paul on his missionary journeys. They spent time together in close contact. Timothy had been able to observe Paul and his behavior and his character and his ministry. He was able to experience it and then able to go out and imitate what he had seen. This is what discipleship is really all about. You see, discipleship does not just happen in a classroom or in a Sunday morning sermon. Oftentimes, discipleship is more caught than taught, right? It's about walking through life with other believers and learning from them as they learn from Christ and vice versa. And so Paul's saying, you did this with me, Timothy. He says, remember, you followed me. And first of all, he's going to give, he's going to explain how he followed him in his calling. And he gives four words here to describe Paul's calling that he lived out in front of Timothy. He says, first of all, my teaching. When Timothy sat under Paul's teaching, he was receiving the truth of God's word, right? The truth of the gospel. And by receiving that truth, it gave Timothy a right thinking. And that's the first spot, that's the first step for all of us in following Jesus, is that we have to understand God's word and get our thinking right. He says, first you followed my teaching, then you followed my conduct, obeying the truth, not just receiving it, but obeying it, actually doing what God says. So now I have right thinking that leads to right behaviors, right? I'm living out God's word. He says, and then you followed my aim, his purpose, right? He wasn't just receiving the truth or acting on the truth, but he was living for the truth. His whole purpose, his whole aim in life came to be to follow Jesus and to follow the gospel. So now he has a right purpose, right thinking, to right behaviors, to right purpose. And then he says, and you followed my faith which means that you are now defined by the truth. The word faith there, we might use today the, world, uh, the word worldview, right? That which we believe so much that it defines who we are, that it is our identity. That's what Paul's talking about when he says my faith, 
right? That he followed him in, in having the right hope in Jesus Christ defined by who he was in Jesus. And so we actually see here, as Paul lays this out, a spiritual progression. You know, there's a, there's a progression to your spiritual life. Do you understand that? And we all need to assess, like, where am I at in this progression? It starts with right thinking. Are you studying God's word? Are you understanding God's word? Are you getting your mind right? Are you thinking rightly about the things of God? Second step is then to first think and then do. Am I acting on what I've learned? Am I living out the gospel that I'm thinking about? And then that doing leads to a focus, a purpose. Paul calls it an aim, right? That my entire life is focused on living for Jesus. And then ultimately, as I do that, my heart comes to a place where I become like Jesus. That my identity is in Christ. Over and over again in Paul's letters, he talks about being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's the end of the spiritual progression. It starts by thinking right and doing right and aiming right, and then eventually we become more and more like Jesus Christ. Where are you at? Where are you at right now in that spiritual progression? How are you doing and advancing through this following of, of Christ, following of Paul, following of other believers in your own spiritual life. He says, first you followed my calling, and he also says you followed my character. And he gives him three character traits that are um, quintessential to being a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, first of all, you followed my patience. Patience just means to trust God in all things, believing that God is indeed in control of everything. And if God's in control and he's got, he's got his hand on it, I, I can be patient. I don't have to worry about how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. Or, like, I can trust the Lord has it under control. Patience means that I'm living under Christ's sovereignty. He says, you followed my patience, you followed my love. Love is such a big deal in the Christian faith. We always say here at Harvest, biblical love is defined like this, you be for me. It's not just an emotion, it's not just a feeling, it's a choice and a sacrifice to put others before yourself. That's what love looks like. And it's not lost on us that when Jesus himself was asked, what is the greatest commandment in all of scripture? He said, actually, I'll give you two. Love God and love others. They both revolve around love. It's the center of who we are as followers of Christ. So we're living under Christ's sovereignty. We're living through Christ's love. And he says, thirdly, you followed my steadfastness or my, my faithfulness. If we know anything about Paul from the Bible, we know that he stayed when it got hard. Right? Like he didn't give up. He didn't walk away. He didn't quit. He stayed on mission. He stayed in the gospel even when it was difficult. He was steadfast because he was living by Christ's power in him. He says, Timothy, you saw all of this. And, and I think we, we've all come to understand, I hope, at this point in our lives that character is not something you can get or you can observe or you can test with someone in a couple minutes a week or a couple in interactions, right? To truly know someone's character, to truly know who they are and how they live, you have to spend time with them. Life on life, walking through it together, 
That's how you see and you grow in someone with character. This is why disciple-making and discipleship relationships are so important. Because we need time together. It's not enough to just hear the right things or say the right things. It's living life together where we get to observe and learn from one another in character and be encouraged and, and challenged. You know, when Courtney and I first got married, um, we were very clear that we wanted to wait a few years before we started having children. And, uh, but we didn't want to wait on learning to be good parents. And we had a lot of other couples in the church that we were part of that were older than us that already had kids. Some had kids that were still at home. Some had kids that were grown. But, but we, just, we just really wanted to spend lots of time from them, like, just learning how to do this, how to have a gospel-centered family and a gospel-centered marriage. And so we just started hanging out, right? Like, we would go over to their house and have dinner together. We would hang out with their families and all their little kids. We would pitch in when they were doing home projects. Like, just anything to just kind of be around them and just learn from their experience and their interactions. In fact, <laughs> at one point, um, we took a parenting Sunday school class before we were parents. Um, because we just wanted to be, like, with these people who knew what, like, they had some experience. They had been walking through this so we could learn and grow in these things. That's what Paul is saying. Like, Timothy, you got that from me. You were with me through this. You got to see this. And as we've grown older and as we've had some experience now, we've started doing this with other couples and families. We've started hosting small group at our house. So we want to have people in our home so they can see how we function and how our family works. We, we start having people over for dinner. We have game nights and, and play and let the kids play and interact. And um, we've been, even at some point had some other families go on vacation with us and go to the same place just so, like, we're all interacting together. Because this is how you grow in relationships together. This is how you learn and, and you are discipled in time together. And so... I just want to encourage you this morning, like, this is, a, this is a big part of how we think about small groups. Is being in a regular rhythm every week together, learning, growing, seeing, talking, being honest and sharing about what's going on so we can learn from one another. And there are some fantastic resources in this church. If you're, listen, if you're a, a young married couple, we have some older married couples in our church who have been doing it really well for a lot of years. Take them to dinner. I just say, hey, will you go to dinner with us? And, let, and just pepper them with questions. Right? Like, just go and learn and just press in and let them feed you a little bit. It's good. That's what the Lord calls us to do. Some of you, you older couples, you older families, you've, you've been doing the parenting thing for a while, and you see, you see some of these other younger couples with the little guys, and they are like, at wit's end, and they're struggling, and they're drowning right now, <laughs> like, bring them in. I say, hey, come over to our house Friday night. Let's have dinner. Bring the kids. We'll all just sit around and talk and play and just, just pour into them. Right? This is a chance for us to grow together in discipleship. This is why we do small groups. You need to be in a small group listening and learning, and not just with people your age. I had a great conversation this morning with one of the couples in our church, newer to our church, just joined a small group a couple months ago, and they were talking about, man, we love our small group because there's all these people from all different ages, and we get to learn and see faith at all those different stages, and they were so encouraged by that. This is what discipleship looks like. This is what Paul and Timothy had. This is what Paul is pressing Timothy to remember and to follow up on, and so I would encourage you, man, take advantage of that. Be well invested in relationships here at Harvest and let them grow you in the Lord.
So ask yourself this question for this first point. Who am I following and who is following me? Again, if we go back to our image of passing that torch, right, along through person to person, generation to generation, you need to have somebody in front of you that's done life a little bit longer than you have, that's been a follower of Jesus, that knows a little bit more than you do, and you need to be following them, and you need to be learning from them, and you need to have somebody behind you that you're investing in and that you're pouring back into, and you're sharing the gospel with them as you walk through life together. This is what it looks like to pass the torch along. Point number two, look at verse 11. He goes on, he's still in the list. He says, and my, you followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people are impo- and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Point number two is this, pass the torch through faithful suffering. Through faithful suffering. Like, really, do we have to talk about the suffering thing, Micah, again? It's in the Word. He says, remember, you followed me in my persecutions and sufferings. And, and if you know anything about Paul, if you've read the New Testament, he had many. Right? Like, like Paul probably gets the, the record for persecution. Point in case, he's writing this letter right now to Timothy from prison probably getting ready to be killed for the faith of Jesus Christ. But here he lists out, he cites specific examples from his first missionary journey and that's recorded in Acts 13 and 14, if you want to go read it, where he goes through these three cities. And first he comes to Antioch. And he's there and he's teaching and things are going well and then the Jews get all jealous that he has bigger crowds than they do and they try to run him out of town. And so they run him out of town and he leaves and he goes to the next city and he ends up in Iconium. And he's teaching there. And then those same people from Antioch, they show up in Iconium and they stir up the crowd and they try to stone him and try to persecute him there. And so he finds out about it before they can do it. And so he leaves and he goes to the next city. He goes to Lystra. He's teaching. He's preaching the gospel again. Same group shows up. And this time they did turn the city against him. They take him out. They stone him. And they're pretty sure he's dead. And they leave him on the side of the road outside the city. And by... I believe by God's miraculous hand, he is revived, and he stands back up, and Paul walks back into the city and keeps preaching the gospel. Right? Like, he doesn't quit. And he's listing these persecutions. And remember, Timothy's hometown was Lystra. So most likely, he witnessed this event. He would have witnessed these persecutions. He would have known. He would have remembered the miracle that God did. These were not abstract. Yeah, Paul was persecuted sometimes. No, no. Timothy knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew the stories. He had the memories. This was a vivid depiction for him. He says, I was persecuted in all these cities, but the Lord rescued me. Which kind of sounds like a like a I just lost the word. A contradictory statement, right? Like, you just told us you got stoned and beat up, and like, how did God rescue you? Like, you got messed up, Paul. But God rescued him from death. God rescued him from defeat, from defecting from the faith. 
and he kept his heart and his spirit strong as he was walking through the persecution. This is Paul's point. When he leaves Lystra and he goes to the next city and he eventually comes back through on his way back to Jerusalem, he stops back in Lystra in Acts 14.22. And this is what he says to the believers there. Paul told them, we must continue in the faith through, through many tribulations. He says, we must continue in the faith, not by avoiding tribulations, not by powering up over them, not by somehow, you know, getting around them, but going through tribulations. This is how Paul understood the faith of following Jesus Christ. And then he really throws down the bomb next, and he says, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. All. In other words, this is the normal fare for a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not abnormal. It's not crazy. It's not like you're, you're not the only one who's ever walked through whatever it is. Like, this is normal. He's saying be ready because it is coming. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will. Jesus said the same thing. This shouldn't be a shock to us. Back in John 15, 18 through 20, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, did they persecute Jesus? Absolutely. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So it's important for us as believers to understand how to deal with the inevitable persecution that will come our way at times. And when we look at Jesus, here's what I found. Jesus' path through persecution is not power or appeasement, but perseverance. Jesus' path through persecution is not power or appeasement, but perseverance. Here's what I mean by that. So many Christians today, especially here in America, their answer for the persecution that we were experiencing at various times is to power up over it, right? If we just get enough people in political power, if we just get enough financial power, if we just get enough celebrity power, then we will be in the majority and we'll be able to control the narrative and we won't have to be persecuted. And that's actually because that's kind of the way it's been in America for the last 200 years, right? Because early on in our country's history, the culture was built on Christian morality. And so all the leaders and all the people, they embraced Christian ideas, even if they themselves were not followers of Jesus Christ. And so we have suffered very little persecution throughout the years because of that, praise the Lord. But that's changing, isn't it? That's shifting, and a lot of people are scared about that, and they're trying to power up over that. But you got to remember, back when Jesus came to earth, when the early church was started, Christianity was not in power. Christianity was not the majority. They in no way had the power, and so they were persecuted over and over and over again. And Jesus knew that was going to happen. That was not a surprise to him. He wasn't like, oh, man, if I'd have known this, I wouldn't have come. <laughs> like, he wasn't, he knew that was coming. And yet, when Jesus came to earth, he did not come as a conquering king. He could have, right? 
God of the universe could have came with all power and crushed all of his enemies and ruled in power. But he didn't come as a conquering king. He came as a suffering servant. Willing to walk through persecution to lead others to believe, to have faith in him. So his solution to persecution was not power, but it also wasn't appeasement. Right? Other believers today, if they don't have the power mentality, they have the, the path of least resistance mentality, right? Like, okay, things are changing. Let's not rock the boat. Let's not, you know, just, just play along with the culture. Just fit in. You know, you know the, their motto is give in to fit in, right? Like, just, just be, be like everybody else so we don't stick out and we don't cause any conflict. And so they avoid conflict with the culture by adapting to the culture and being like the culture instead of being like Jesus. And they take the Bible and they want to reinterpret what it means because it no longer jives with what the culture says or they want to cut out sections of Scripture and say, well, those don't really apply anymore. Those are outdated. Because they're trying to appease. But again, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus never backed down from the truth. He never backed down from God's word. He never surrendered the truth. Rather, he surrendered his life in order to stand for the truth. It wasn't a power. It wasn't appeasement. Jesus' method, Paul's method, the early church's method was perseverance. Perseverance is pressing on in the face of persecution. It means staying faithful to God and humble before men. Serving others, loving others, even when they come against us. The idea of persecution in the Bible literally means to to stand up underneath the weight of it. Like a picture, like a a giant weight on your shoulders and you're, you're struggling to stand. That's perseverance. And the weight of this world, the pressure of this world to give in and to give up on Jesus and just to go along, it's a heavy weight. Is it not? Can we just be real in church this morning? Everybody go with me and honest in church? Right? It's a heavy weight, isn't it? And sometimes it feels heavier than we can bear. More than we can stand up under. But here's the great news. God's not telling you to stand up on your own. Perseverance doesn't come by you muscling it and doing it by yourself. Perseverance comes by the strength that God supplies. That's why Paul says right here, it was the Lord that rescued me. When Paul persevered, it was the Lord's strength coming through him that helped him keep going. It wasn't Paul. It reminds me of Isaiah 40, verse 31 famous scripture. I'm sure many of you have heard it before. It says, but they who wait for the Lord, those who wait for the Lord, shall renew their strength. Because it comes from Him. Right? And then they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They shall persevere and keep going because the Lord's strength is in them. That's what perseverance looks like. 
And Paul says we have to persevere in the face of persecution because imposters, he says, will go on from bad to worse. You know, you understand that we're not the only ones trying to pass our torch to the next generation. There's all kinds of other people out there with other agendas and other teachings and other religions, and they're trying to pass their torch too. And it says they're deceiving others while them, they themselves are being deceived by the false teaching. And here's, what, here's, here's the hard part. The Bible is very clear that this type of evil, this type of, of, of sin is not going to end anytime soon. In fact, it will not end until Jesus steps back down on the earth as the reigning king and conquers sin and death for good and rescues his people. So that means for you and I, the rest of our lives, unless Jesus comes back, which I would not be opposed to, but the rest of our lives, we're going to be enduring sin and evil and persecution because it's going to go from bad to worse. Like we just need to expect that. We just need to be ready for that. We need to have a mindset that's ready to persevere in the face of what is coming. To continue to pass the torch on. I think passages like this sometimes can be difficult for American Christians. Because if we're being honest, at this point, we have not really seen the level and the type of persecution that Paul and the early church saw. Like that just hasn't been our reality yet, right? I say yet, because I'm not con- convinced that it won't be in our lifetime. But we haven't seen it yet. And so you always end up, you go to passages like this, and you go to small group, and you always have the one guy that's like, well, you know, we can't really talk about persecution. We don't know anything about persecution compared to Paul, and so we, can't, we don't have anything to say here, and we just need to move on. And As if, like, this part of the Bible doesn't apply to you, or doesn't apply to us. But here at Harvest, we believe that every piece of Scripture, every passage, every word applies to our lives. Amen? And so there's something here for us. And I was reading this week, and, and I was thinking about this. You know, at this point, when Paul's writing to Timothy, Timothy hasn't experienced that level of persecution either. Like he's got some church people that are mad at him, right? And he's got some people who are trying to teach something differently than what he's teaching. But he hasn't been stoned yet. He hasn't been imprisoned yet. He will be. Eventually, he'll be imprisoned, and he'll die as a martyr. But when Paul's telling him to do this, when he's saying all this to Timothy, Timothy's much more like us having some verbal social persecution, but nothing to the level of Paul yet. And yet Paul encourages him in this way, and he admonishes him that all who follow Jesus will be persecuted. So as I was studying this week, I, I found this, this passage by one of the early church fathers named Jerome, where he talks about the difference between red martyrs and white martyrs. Red martyrs are pretty obvious, right? Those are the ones who give their blood, give their life, like physically shed blood or die for the gospel, right? Lots of those in church history, even some of that still happening today in other parts of the world. I'm even thinking right now about Ukraine, right? As Russia comes in, it's inevitable that we'll start hearing more of that in that area for Christians. Uh, We've seen it in Afghanistan over the last year as they have been having to battle through that. Uh, China, it's been happening for years. So this does still happen, but really not much around us. But then he talks about this other type. He talks about what he calls white martyrs. Those are the ones who suffer in other ways, persecuted in other ways, like verbal or emotional or social or relational or even maybe physical ways in lesser terms. 
And all of us are going to experience those types of persecution because there are some in the world who oppose Jesus. And that's going to bring opposition to us. And we have Satan opposing us in a broken, sinful world that's going to bring suffering into your life just because sin exists. And what I really appreciated Jerome was in, in this writing, he said, we should never discount or disregard these other forms of persecution and these other forms of suffering as if, as if they're less than those that maybe Paul experienced or the early church experienced. Because he said, no matter what type of persecution it is, it provides every one of us an equal opportunity to give a strong, vivid testimony of the gospel as we follow Christ in our suffering. In other words, faithful suffering for the gospel is, not, is less about the level or type of suffering and more about how we respond in suffering. Don't discount the persecution that you're walking through because it's not whatever somebody else is doing. Just look at your heart. Like, God, how am I responding in this moment to what you've put in front of me? That's faithful suffering for the Lord. How do we display God's strength? How do we display the gospel in those moments of suffering and persecution? So here's the question for point number two. Does my response to suffering point others to Jesus? Whatever suffering that is, whether it's at work or at school, whether it's in your family, whether it's health stuff or, you know, job stuff or social stuff, like whatever it is. Does my response to that point others to Jesus? Faithful suffering. Last thing we see here, look at verse 14. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Point number three, pass the torch through faithful legacy. If we want to continue to pass the torch of faith on, it has to be through faithful living, through faithful suffering that, that perseveres through the persecution, and through faithful legacy. Paul says here to Timothy, he says, continue in what you have learned. So Paul is clearly and purposefully, right here, this statement, he's passing the torch, right? Continue. Here, you take it. Continue on in what you have learned. He knows he's going to die soon. He knows this is the, his last chance. Tell Timothy. He says, continue in what you have learned, knowing from whom you learned it. And you can't really tell in the English there, but in the Greek, that phrase, whom, is actually plural. So he's saying, whom you learned it, meaning you learned it from me, yes, but you also learned it from your mother, right, and your grandmother. We talked about them earlier in the letter. And he said, you even, you even learned it from God because you learned it through the sacred writings, through his word. He said, you've had all these people pouring into your life and teaching you. And he says, remember and continue what you have learned because of the source, because of the authority from which you learned it, right, from the Lord, from the apostle, from your parents, like these are credible sources, so continue on in what they taught you. And then he says this, he says, continue on in what you learned from childhood. I just want to pause on that phrase for just a second. Because I think we have to understand, we have to remember that building a legacy of faith 
requires discipling the next generation now. We can't wait. If you're waiting till your kids get to be adults to let them decide what their faith is going to look like or how that's going to all play out, it's too late. Legacies of faith start in childhood. Now, some of us have miraculous stories where, man, we, we, got, we got nothing spiritual growing up, and somehow God came and rescued us in our teens or our 20s. Praise the Lord. All right? I'm not discounting that in any way. But if you live that, I know you're like me. You don't want that for your kids. Right? So discipling the next generation starts now. And he says here, you learn from childhood the sacred writings. That's what he points him back to. Now, for Timothy, the sacred writings would have been the Old Testament, right? They didn't have the New Testament yet. It would have been what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. But throughout this entire letter, Paul has also pointed Timothy, not just to the Old Testament, but to Paul's own teaching, right? To the sound doctrine that you've learned from me, Paul said, which eventually would all get written down and end up being the New Testament, okay? So, so really, it all applies. For us today, the whole Bible is the sacred writings. And so Paul's saying, this is what you need if you're going to disciple the next generation. We need the Bible. We have to teach it. We have to pass it on to the next generation. And so for us today, I think that looks like two major things. Number one, it looks like families. Parents, you are the first and primary role in your kid's spiritual development. It's your job. You need to teach God's word to your children. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. There are like a thousand books. Family, children, Bible studies. Get them on Amazon, 10 bucks, and just start walking through it with your kid. You need to be teaching them. You need to be reading it to them. If you got little guys, every night when you tuck them in, grab a children's Bible, read them a Bible story. One a night. It'll take you three minutes. And if you do that consistently, they will know the word of God. This is our job. Talk to them. When you're sitting at the dinner table, have the conversations that lead them back to the gospel. And then reinforce all of that by bringing them to church. We have a fantastic team of volunteers here at our church. Amen. Give it to them. That every single week are up there discipling those kids. That's not just babysitting going on over here. They are pouring God's word into those kids. We have to teach the next generation. And if you serve on that team, man, thank you so much. Thank you for doing that. But then as a church, we have a role to play too. It's first for the parents, but it's also for the church. That's why we have kids ministry, so we can teach and we can lead and we can grow those kids. We want to reinforce for you what you're doing at home. We want to resource you and supply you with things to help you and discipling your kids. But it doesn't just kids. It also goes into our student ministry. We have many of our students in here with us this morning. Some of them are even serving. Okay? But we have a, a great team that is discipling our students as well and pouring into their lives. And, man, at that age, they need it. This day and age, like this, some of the stuff, we have one now that just stepped into teenage world, and, like, the junk that they're having to walk through right now is mind-boggling. And they need other believers, adults, 
who know the word and love the Lord to pour into their lives. And we could use some more volunteers in our youth ministry right now. And so if God's calling you to step in and mentor and to pour into and to love on some teenagers, man, come and see us. Because that's how we pass on a legacy of faith, is we have to disciple these kids, we have to disciple these teenagers. You can do it through mentoring, even as adults. You know, we have some people in our church right now that they're brand new to the faith. They've just gotten saved in the last year or two. They need other Christians who have been doing this for a while to just, hey, let me take you to coffee. Let's just go out once a week or once a month and just sit down. I just want to talk with you. I just want to pray with you. I just want to encourage you. That's building a legacy of faith in them. In our small groups, pouring into one another, older with younger and younger with older, like that's what this is talking about. We have to keep teaching and leading and discipling our families and the church in order to raise up the next generation to carry the torch of the gospel. Because legacy starts with leadership. What I mean by that is biblical discipleship and spiritual leadership are actually two sides to the same coin. Many of us don't think about it that way. But we need to start thinking about it that way. You see, the goal in discipleship is not just for you to grow personally. If that's your only goal is just to grow yourself, that's a short-sighted goal. The goal is to grow you as a disciple maker, as a spiritual leader who can lead other people to Jesus as well. Right? It's not just for you. You have to do your part to pass it on to the next and the next and the next. So there's kind of three levels of spiritual leadership that I want to just throw out to you to think about this morning. The first level or the first step is learn to lead yourself. And if that's where you're at, man, then that's where you need to focus. But first you have to learn to lead yourself. You have to learn to lead your own heart with the gospel and God's word. Right? You need to look at you and say, hey, what sin is in my heart? What do I need to repent of? How do I need to, to walk in spiritual disciplines this week? Being in the word, being in prayer. Like, first you have to learn to lead yourself in your own heart before you can lead someone else. So work on that. And once you kind of get some rhythm going with that, then step number two or level number two is learning to lead others. Once I've learned to lead myself in my own heart, then I have to learn to lead others into this. And you can do this in your marriage with your spouse. You can do this in your families with your kids. You can do this in small group by just pouring into somebody else. There, I guarantee you in, in your life, there is almost always somebody in your life who knows less about Jesus than you do. Maybe not by much. <laughs> you might only be like one or two steps ahead. But that's enough to pour something into somebody else, to lead others spiritually. This is where our small group leaders are. Our small group leaders are at step two. They're taking a whole group of people every week and they're trying to lead them spiritually. And some more of us need to lead ourselves so we can get to leading others. And then step number three, third level is learning to lead other leaders. So now I'm not just leading other people to grow in their faith, but now I'm, I've, I've grown enough and I've learned enough that I can now lead other, peop, lead other people and teach them how to lead other people to their faith, right? This is our elders and our small group coaches, and they're coaching and they're leading our small group leaders so they can then lead others. And it's this kind of pouring down into one another so we can just keep going. The, the torch can keep being passed. This is the progression 
of spiritual legacy. This is what it looks like. And here's what I would think the Lord would say to you this morning. Don't be satisfied with simply having a spiritual life. God wants you to have a spiritual legacy. Where it's not just about you and your heart, but it's about growing others beyond you, passing that torch to the next person so they can continue to grow in the faith as well. So ask yourself, how can I lead others through spiritual legacy? What's that look like for you? In your home, in the church, in your small group, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. How can you help others grow? How can you leave a spiritual legacy, not just a spiritual life? And then Paul has one more statement here at the end. I'm going to wrap it up. Look at the end in verse 15. He says, these, these sacred writings that he's been talking about, he says, they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's reminding us again that all scriptures, all of God's word points to Jesus, right? All of it is, the Bible is not ultimately about us. You understand that this morning? Like, praise God that he gave it to us because we need it, but it's not about us. It's not about the church, and it's not about religion. It's about pointing us to Jesus and to the gospel. It's about reminding all of us and showing us that we are sinners, that every single one of us, are by our own nature, by our own hearts, are sinful people. We have sinful desires that lead us to rebel against God and to disobey his word and to not follow his holiness. And because of our sin against him, we deserve his wrath and his punishment. But in his grace, knowing we could never fix ourselves, knowing we could never right the wrong and the sin in our own hearts, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth to live a perfect and sinless life, the thing that we could never do, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To literally give his perfect life to pay for our sinful lives. He stood in our place and he took our sin upon himself and he died the death that we deserved. And he was buried in the grave and then three days later he rose back to life. Proving that he was God, that he had conquered sin and death and offering us forgiveness and salvation for all who will believe. That's the gospel. That's what Paul's pointing back here to again. And our mission is not simply to believe that. That's not enough. Or to simply follow Jesus and to be spiritual people. That's not enough. Our mission, our job, is to bring more and more and more people into that same faith and that same relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a spiritual legacy. To keep passing on the torch of faith. Ask yourself again, how am I passing on the torch of faith? Every single one of us, from the pastor all the way down, needs to ask that question. Who are you receiving the torch from? Like, like right now, think of, think of a name, think of a face. Who in your life are you following and you're receiving the torch from? Who are you learning from? Who are you continuing to grow more under? You're submitting yourself to their spiritual leadership so that they can help you grow and you can follow them in the faith. And then secondly, who are you passing the torch to? Again, think of specific names and faces. Who are you inviting into your life to learn from you, to grow with you? Who are you, who are you walking with? Who are you teaching? Who are you leading as a disciple maker? If you can't come up with a name and a face for both of those, 
you got some work to do. Some of you might still need to take that very first handoff, right? You haven't even touched the torch yet. You haven't even received the torch yet because you still need to put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning. You need to believe that Jesus was God and that he died on the cross for your sins. You need to repent of that sin and turn away from it and put your faith in Jesus Christ so that he can save you. If you haven't done that yet this morning, we would encourage you right now as we get ready to pray, just pray and ask the Lord to do that. Ask him to come and save you from your sin. A hundred years from now, better yet, a thousand years from now, who will be a follower of Jesus because you passed the torch of faith to the next person. Stand with me, let's pray. Let's respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, God, we praise you. We thank you, God, that you are with us this morning, Lord, that you are here, Lord, pressing in on us, teaching us, God, taking us to your throne once again. God, you are the faithful one. Lord, you are the one who came for us when we were stuck in our sin. You loved us. You made a way for us when we were, had nothing to offer in return. And you sent your son, Lord, to start a spiritual fire in us that would burn through the ages and sustain your church and sustain your people and eventually reach us here in 2022 with the gospel. Lord, please, thank you. Lord, help us. Help us as individuals, help us as a church, Lord, to be faithful to you, faithful to the gospel, to continue to pass the torch by discipling others, by raising up the next generation in a legacy of faith. God, we believe you are the one true king. We want to honor you with how we live and with our legacy. Thank you, God, for saving us. Pray all this in your mighty son's name, Jesus Christ.